Hello, I'm Chloe Veltman. Welcome to NPR's Book of the Day. Fei Mien Ng's new memoir, Orphan Bachelors, takes its title from the lonely men without families the author got to know as a kid growing up in San Francisco's Chinatown. In an interview with Here and Now host Deepa Fernandez, Ng talks about the struggles faced by her own family and the larger Chinese community trying to survive in the United States over generations of exclusion and marginalisation. Ng says one of the most potent things about the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, the first significant law restricting immigration into the United States, is how bloodless the legislation was. She says, quote, you didn't need to kill any Chinese babies. You just had to ensure none were born. Here's Deepa Fernandez. This message comes from NPR sponsor LiveRight, publishers of Left for Dead. Shipwreck, treachery and survival at the edge of the world by Eric J. Dolan. The true story of five castaways abandoned on the Falkland Islands during the War of 1812. Available wherever books are sold. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. California author Fei Mian Ng is the author of the acclaimed novels Bone and Steer Toward Rock. Now she turns to memoir. In her new book, Ng goes back and forth in time to tell the story of her family, her father who worked on ships that often took him away from home, her seamstress mother, her own life growing up in San Francisco's Chinatown in the 1960s and teaching at UC Berkeley in the 2000s. But all through it, we see the far-reaching effects of one of America's harshest immigration policies, the Chinese Exclusion Act, first signed into law in 1882. Fei Mian Ng's book is Orphan Bachelors, and she joins us now. And Fei, the Exclusion Act prohibited skilled and unskilled Chinese laborers from entering the U.S., but there was an earlier act signed by then-President Grant, which also had a profound impact. Can you explain? Hmm, okay. I'm going to keep it simple because it's so complicated and confusing, but we all know that the 1882 Exclusion Act was America's first legislation directed at nationality. But in 1875, there was the Page Act in which Grant had called all Chinese women immoral and he banned them from entering the country. So that ended America's open borders. We also know that exclusion was really a historic win for labor. After the railroad was built with 90% Chinese labor, the California Workingmen's Party began the campaign, the Chinese must go. So exclusion prevented men from bringing their wives unless you were a merchant or a diplomat or a student, and they couldn't um, marry in this country because of the miscegenation laws, which were not repealed in California until 48, and in the U.S., not until 67. So it was impossible to have any kind of intimate life. And my father, who was an orphan bachelor for eight years, he was continuously hollering that exclusion was a brilliant piece of legislation because it was bloodless. You didn't have to kill any Chinese babies. You just made sure none were born. That point is made so powerfully by quoting your father who says four generations of the unborn. And I think for me, Faye, that really crystallized just what exclusion meant. It wasn't just simply keeping out 
a certain group of people. It was preventing more from being born for four generations. And we just can't imagine the effect on the sexuality of Chinese Americans. This is not going away. It, it is ongoing. Yeah. You mentioned orphan bachelors, and, and that's the title of your book. Who are the orphan bachelors? I call them the leftover men, the men that, that could not have families. And my sister and I grew up with them in Chinatown. They would come to our grocery store and sit and talk and drink tea. My father would take us to the park, and we would call them all grandfathers because they had no family. So we were um, exposed to their um, their sorrow. My great-grandfather lived in this country for 60 years before his granddaughter, my mother, arrived. Exclusion created this kind of incredible aloneness. And I think this is what the orphan bachelors taught me, how to be alone. And because immigration to the U.S. was so limited, people had to resort to illegal means. Your father was a paper son, and yes. I want you to explain what that was because it kind of blew my mind, I have to say, about how it was that people worked to try and get around these restrictions. Yes. My father, at 16, memorized a book of lies, and he posed as a stranger's son. This stranger was a legal American citizen, and he came into this country and he lived for many, many years under this paper name. And then in uh, between 1956 and 1966, there was a program called the Chinese Confession Program, which was kind of a trick program luring these paper sons to come and confess that they had come in under these paper identities, these paper names. My siblings and I were all born in this period. We I call us uh, confession babies because we witnessed our father giving up his citizenship. He had to be amenable to deportation. He had to surrender his passport. This was all for a chance at naturalization. But he was demoted to resident alien, and that was humiliating for him. Yeah, that must have been an incredibly hard choice. Do you confess and believe the government that you might then be able to live not with your paper name, but with your real name, or is it a trick? Exactly. There, there was no winning. If you didn't confess, the FBI could stop you anywhere, anytime, and demand to see your papers, and then you would just be deported. And I found really powerful, I mean, you, you write throughout the memoir of, of how you came to be a storyteller, and, and your father seems like some, one of the biggest influences on that, and his use of, of words and imagery. I love this one quote, exclusion and confession, the two slamming doors of America. Yes. Yes, my father was a kind of a poet. He was alone so much because he went to see that he would, um, he would read and he would write and he would come back and tell his stories. I mean, I was such a storyteller because I would go to school and I would tell all these stories about my father. Mm. One of the things that you say, and I'm quoting here from your book, I've struggled to balance duty with desire to do good by my parents, but also have my own life. What I can't teach and what education won't provide is the courage to put aside duty. And it just struck me that 
you just put words to the dilemma of so many immigrant children. I'm wondering yes. if you've been able to find more answers for yourself. I think immigrant children make have to make really hard choices because our parents sacrifice so much, not only their landscape but their language, to create the possibility of a world. And so there is no easy way to to go forward. But I try to teach my students that um, you put yourself first and then you can take yeah. care of everyone else. You know, I want to ask you quickly about your mother because she is a seamstress and she works very hard and she keeps the family running. And yes. the one thing that struck me was when your dad was away and you wanted to, on a ship and you wanted to write a letter to him, you wrote and complained about your mother and <laughs> she edited your child. letter but left but she left all the complaints about her in the letter. She didn't edit them yes. out and she let you send it to your father and that yes. just spoke volumes to me about your mother's character. Oh, you know, and, and that, if anything, taught me about writing. I can write my truth and I can send it across the seas to the man that I wanted to reach. And she allowed me to do that. And there was a, the, the other letter in which she wrote to him, and her words in English were, baby, sick, come home. The way they cobbled together their English was amazing because, you know, she had a waiter from Chinatown help her with this, a neighbor who was a waiter, you know. And, and the way these immigrants made language powerful with the limited words they had they could do it and and so as a writer that was my challenge they had she had four words to reach through the waters to the captain to allow my father to come home and so that is always my challenge as a writer mm-hmm. and she gave me that she allowed me to write all these you know nasty stuff about my mother and she allowed me to send that letter to him <laughs> And the fact is, I found the letter. He kept it. Wow. That must have been precious to find. They were extraordinary people. You know, there was a deep kindness. You know, there was suffering in so many parts of their lives. But there was just, you know, the fact that he went to Hong Kong just to get her snake gall to cure her courage after discovering her grandfather's suicide, that... Sometimes one act is enough. One act of love is enough. Hmm. It's a beautiful note to leave it on. Faye Mian Ng's book is Orphan Bachelors. Faye, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thank you for reading and thank you for talking to me. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. What does it mean to be black in America? 
and NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.